1: Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. What is up? Welcome to the Los Angeles Dodgers podcast on the Believe Network. I am J.P. Hornstra of the Southern California News Group. Been quite the last 72 hours. When the weekend started, I was looking at people in Southern California posting their snow pictures on social media. Had a nice, pleasant interview with Sean Green lined up about the beginning of spring training. Not a lot of injuries. Fun time. It wasn't exactly a blizzard in my neck of the woods. It's just cold and rainy, but it was enough to knock out my power here in Northeast LA. And so this podcast is dropping about 72 hours later than I thought it would. My apologies for that. You'll hear from Sean later in this episode, but we talked before the Dodgers Cactus League opener against the Milwaukee Brewers. And that means that we talked before the season-ending injury, to Gavin Lux. In case you missed it, and I'm not sure how you did, Gavin Lux has a torn right ACL. He will undergo surgery on March 7th, Dr. Neil Elitrash conducting the symphony. I will link to some of that coverage in the show notes in case you missed it. But this is big news, folks. It's pretty much the worst-case scenario. Losing a player for the entire season right at the beginning of spring training when every team more or less in major league baseball has set its roster i guess the timing of the injury could be worse but not by much you know in the grander scheme of things the shortstop is not a position of strength in the dodgers system jacob amaya was their top guy at the end of last year and he was subsequently traded for miguel rojas now looking at roster resource Eddie Leonard is the top shortstop in the system. He's on the 40 man, but he has never played above high A. He's 22 years old, and he's coming off a Dominican Winter League season in which he slashed 200, 333, 286 against the kind of competition you usually see in the Dominican League, which is good, but at least one notch below the average major league pitcher. So he's not ready. And I don't think anyone in the organization will try to sell you on the idea that he is. So just looking at the free agents still out there, well, the Twins just signed old friend Donovan Solano. Other shortstops, I'm seeing Andrelton Simmons, D. Gordon, Jose Iglesias, Alcides Escobar, Jerickson Profar, D.D. Gregorius. If you're looking at some combination of Miguel Rojas and Chris Taylor, the drop off to literally any of those guys is fairly steep. Even if we assume they're all healthy, and I'd have to check with their agents to make sure they are, only two of them were positive war players last season, Profar at 2.5 and Iglesias at 1.0. Iglesias is the better defensive player, Profar the better offensive player, I wouldn't read too much into Iglesias' two hundred ninety two batting average and three hundred twenty eight OBP because he played a course field where the outfield's huge and it's easy to pick up hits. I would imagine that he and Miguel Rojas offer similar projections, give a slight edge to Rojas there, but if the Dodgers wanted to sign Iglesias to a minor league contract with an invitation to spring training, I don't know that Iglesias's agent will have a better chance of placing his client with a winning team. Profar's agent is Scott Boris. He's usually more aggressive than his peers trying to gerrymander a market for his clients, which take nothing away from Scott Boris. That's his job. Uh, But I don't know if a minor league contract is an option there with Profar. More than that, I don't think shortstop is an option for Profar anymore. He hasn't played that position at the major league level since 2018. Back then, and we're talking about five years ago now, his range was already below average for the position. What is it now? I mean, who knows really? <laughs> but I doubt the Dodgers are willing to find out, especially if it's a major league deal. They could sign him to play left field, which would firmly push Taylor out of the outfield picture, but I don't know if that's plan A. I'm just speculating for now, but as short-term options go, signing a probably requires the least mental gymnastics. Long-term, I'll give you one name to keep an eye on, Willie Adamas. Adamas is the Brewers' starting shortstop, He's 27. Last year, he was worth somewhere between four and five war, depending on your source. And he's got three full seasons left before he's eligible for free agency. Now, whether or not he's a realistic trade target depends on how aggressive you think the Brewers are to dismantle their current core. Guys like Corbin Burns, Brandon Woodruff, Adamas, who was arguably their best offensive and defensive player last season. The fact that Adamas was arguably their best player last season is kind of part of the problem in Milwaukee. He hit 31 home runs and drove in 98. That's good for a shortstop in any season. But he also reached base at a 298 clip, which was a career low. And he still batted second most nights for a team that won 86 games. That is breathtaking if you are accustomed to the idea that a team's number two hitter needs to be good at getting on base. So should he even be a trade target for the Dodgers? Well, on the one hand, it feels a little dirty to be sitting here in the nation's number two media market, speculating what it would take to pry away a brewer. It's classic baseball colonialism. Uh, on the other hand, it is absolutely fair to ask whether Matt Arnold wants to pay Willie Adamas $8.7 million in 2023. And certainly more than that, each of the next two seasons, given where they stand in the Central Division. The St. Louis Cardinals are showing no signs of slowing down. Cubs and the Pirates look like they're on their way up. I doubt the Pirates have the horses to catch the Brewers this year, but the Cubs might. And then you look at the fact that Milwaukee hasn't won a postseason series since 2018. You remember that's the year they took the Dodgers to Game 7 of the NLCS. And what's the outlook for this team? There is absolutely an argument to be made for going for it one more time, knowing you might be one trade away from grabbing a wild card berth. I just wonder if that changes by, say, June or July, if the Cubs and the Cardinals are clearly first and second in the division in some order. So what will the Dodgers do next? Look, I guess the headline here is don't worry about who is playing shortstop on opening day or even for the next two or three months. Miguel Rojas or Chris Taylor or even Jose Iglesias is fine. And right now, fine is probably the best the Dodgers can aspire to as far as replacing Gavin Lux you can start to get ambitious this summer once the trade deadline approaches. I've given you one name to watch for for now. There could always be more. Okay, before we bring on Sean, I wanted to share one more bit of news. Does anyone out there remember the name Linda Goldblum? You should. This was the fan who was struck and killed by a foul ball while she was watching a game between the Dodgers and the Padres at Dodger Stadium in 2018. I got two emails from her family last week, both alerting me to a memoir written by her daughter, Jana Goldblum Brody, that has almost certainly been reviewed by the Dodgers lawyers already. You might remember that the team settled out of court with Goldblum's family for an undisclosed amount. The terms of the settlement stipulated that the family could not say how much they received. The memoir was released on February 11th. Um, I'm looking at the cover right now on Barnes & Noble's website. Go check it out if you're interested. I'll put a link in the show notes. The name of the book is Sit Behind the Nets by Jana Goldblum Brody. All right, let's take a quick break and bring on Sean.
0: And now I'm happy to welcome back Sean Green to the podcast. Sean, thanks for joining me. Yeah, thanks for having me. You're you're missing the cold front in California. I heard you're in Hawaii. I am. I am. We have my younger
2: daughter who's still in high school had ski week, like I think maybe half the schools in Southern California do. Um and uh combined the President's days. Um so yeah, yeah we're here and, and uh my um older daughter's here as well. And so we're having a having a nice little trip here. It looked like a lot of rain when we before we came so we were worried about it, but um seems to be the opposite, more rain in Southern California and cold front and uh, nice weather here. So,
0: Yeah, sounds awful for you over there, Sean. I really feel bad for you. <laughs> Sorry if you hear uh, any waves in the background. It's it's also cold from what I hear. I'm, getting, I'm in California right now, but from what I hear, it's actually somewhat unseasonably cold for the beginning of spring training, and that's maybe the biggest news out of Dodger camp. I don't know, Sean, I, from my experience, that it kind of is the tone of spring training early is that no news maybe is the best news um if maybe that's not the worst thing at this stage of the game
2: yeah i mean that's really the goal of spring training is to get your reps and be you know somewhat ready for opening day i mean you never as a hitter it's kind of like luck of the draw when you start to to find your timing because it comes and goes so hopefully come you know first of April you're ready to go um and then the other big thing is to get it out of there without any injuries um in terms of getting in shape I mean most guys even when I played um came to spring training in great shape and um, I always came in there with as gaining as much weight as I possibly could because I always had trouble keeping weight on during the season so um I lose, I lose most of my weight in spring training because it's just long days. Usually, unlike I'm, I'm how it's been the first few days this year, so it's usually pretty hot. And yeah, and I would, you know, I'd lose five to eight pounds. So as a skinny wow. player, like that was kind of my, my big challenge was to try to, you know, at least start the season um, with enough strength to kind of get me through the six months or seven months of the season.
0: Uh, well, gaining weight was the struggle for you. Uh, gaining weight, uh, not not a lot of people can say that, but I guess Mookie Betts was in the same camp too. He reported to camp eight pounds heavier uh, than he finished last season. So he's hoping that can translate into some strength. For me, for my money, Sean, it was these early days in camp that were my favorite as a reporter because, you know, you get there early in the morning, but then there's no game in the afternoon, right? You're just getting your reps in and the vibe is just, so chill. It's almost like the first day of school. Everybody's happy to see each other. The responsibility hasn't really kicked in yet. And it's just that early first days of camp vibe that is maybe the thing I look forward to most in the calendar year of the entire baseball calendar. I don't know. How was it for you as a player? Yeah, street training is kind of in its own life.
2: Yeah, you're really excited to get there. As you said, the first few days are super fun. You see your buddies get to meet some you know, new players, some other teams, new players that are young guys that are, you know, wide-eyed and excited to be in camp. And um, so it's, it's it's a great time. And then after maybe like, you know, four or five days, you're kind of like, all right, this is getting old. Let's start games. And then you start games. <laughs> and after like, you know, a week or 10 days, you're like, all right, this is kind of getting old. Now let's start the season. And so that's sort of the way to, and more so as you get older. As you get older, I, I was I was a really bad spring training hitter and I think a lot of it was because there just wasn't that extra layer of adrenaline because uh, you know it doesn't count for anything. And you know, the pitchers you're facing the pitcher maybe maybe once the first you know pitch pitches like two or three innings and at the most, you know, they're working on stuff or so they're maybe just not really pitching you the way they normally would. So it's kind of a weird time. And I think if I had to make the team based on spring training performance, I probably would have made one or two teams in my, you know, after <laughs> my first couple of years, I probably wouldn't have made two in teams. So um, I was, I was always
0: happy. The best day of spring training was probably the first and last day. Mm-hmm. Well, I was going to say, because it's really tempting as a fan to read too much into spring training because you haven't had any baseball games at all to read into since the end of last year. So they're playing. Why not? If a guy goes four for four in a Cactus League game, think, hey, maybe this is it. But it it sounds like maybe that's a little bit more applicable to the younger guys for whom there is something on the line. Uh, If you're the Dodgers, you know, James Altman is looking to grab an outfield spot. Miguel Vargas is ready to show that he can be a starting second baseman in this league. I figure for those guys, maybe the adrenaline's a little bit higher than it would be for like a Mookie Betts or a Freddie Freeman at this stage in the year. Exactly. I mean that's that's a
2: really good point. Yeah, you have that you are trying to show what you can do and I remember as a young player the first couple of springs before you're kind of slated as a potential starter or whatever, you're coming off the bench and spring training, so you get super nervous, the bench coach kinda of walks down and says, Hey, you know, get loose after like second you know, third inning or so, fourth inning. You know, the first week when the veteran guys are get their to a bats and lead. Um and so you get really nervous and excited. And, yeah, they have the adrenaline. I think there's certain guys that, for whatever reason, tend to be great spring training hitters, and then it never translates. And on the flip side, there's guys, I mean, my last spring with the Mets, I thought I was going to get released. I was hitting in 07. I think both Moises Alou and myself were hitting about 150 in the spring. and We were terrible. And then... We started the season and we were the two hitters in April. We both hit like you know three fifty in April or whatever it was. So it's just kind of one of those things where when the lights come on, and that's other, the other thing about spring training is you're playing on day games for the most part.
0: You yep. so know,
2: yep. Your your clocks, you know, as after years of playing in the big leagues, once you play for the Cubs, I guess you're used to playing at night and and just feel not just not just like you know the way you you sleep in the time of your day, but I just think, you know, you're kind of just mentally, you're, when the lights are on, it feels more like, if this is a real game. And all these day games sort of kind of, they drag on, and it's just a different, it's a different mentality. So I think it's certain guys, for whatever reason, you know, love spring and play really well, and other guys can't, you know, they, they're excited to be there, get started again. And then it's like, okay, I, I just want to get going.
0: Yeah. Justin Turner was always that guy uh, In among recent Dodgers who it just seemed like once the calendar turned to May, he was the guy he was going to be the rest of the season. I know how that played in Los Angeles. Fans loved him rain or shine. I don't know how that's going to play in Boston. Uh, might not go as well for him. Best of luck. Um, (laughs) But I I want to circle back to Miguel Vargas because he's been in the news quite a bit this week. It's, it's prospect ranking week. And Miguel Vargas is on pretty much every top 100 list that I've seen so far. Um, I was reading fan graphs. They came out with their top 100 Vargas is a bankable big league ready hitter. And he's going to be the Dodgers starting second baseman. If everything goes according to plans and I don't know. To me, seeing these prospect lists comes out, I know Keith Law had the Dodgers first overall uh, of all the 30 organizations in terms of his farm system rankings. And to me, that justifies a little bit of what we saw, or more accurately, didn't see this offseason, which was a lot of activity on the free agent market in what was a very player-friendly free agent market. The thing about prospects, though, Sean, it's nice to see them on this list. It gives you some confidence that they're going to develop. But you just you just don't know when. Um it could be this year, it could be a little bit down the road. You just know that they're coming.
2: Yeah, and you know, the Dodgers success over the last decade is I think it's the biggest reason for that success from a player standpoint has been the farm system. I mean look at all the great players that have come up through the system. And it's like every year there's a couple guys that are not just, you know, playing well, or making a certain line, but they're they're key contributors, whether it's on the mound, in the bullpen, um, on the field. So that's the key. I look at all the great dynasties, and that's been the constant with the Yankees in in the '90s, mid '90s to 2000s, and the Braves throughout the '90s. They had all these great players coming up, and and you know, there's no it's no accident. Dan Kasten, who really was integral to that. Trade dynasties is kind of have, using the same playbook um, yeah. here in in LA, and yeah, of course they have gone out, made some big trades, find some key guys, You can get like three-minute bats and, and trade Turner before um, those all those guys <clears throat> that came in are crucial. But you need the core, and and I like I like what they're doing this year. I think having um, kind of leaning leaning on these prospects that are coming up. And still having great players in the lineup and, and on the mound. Um, yeah, I think on paper, they're, they're probably not, you know, as heavily favored as, as, uh, they've, they've been in the past and the Padres are really good and, you know, the teams have kind of caught up a little bit. But, you know, during the season, you can always go out and, and make the moves that you need if, some of the prospects aren't quite ready. Um, if you, know, you have, those prospects are great. Playing for you, but they're also effective when you need to make that key trade come July.
0: Yep, this is not a gambling podcast. I'll make that disclaimer right now, but <laughs> I did get the odds uh, from Bet Online today in my inbox. Uh, we, we mentioned the division standings and the exact World Series matchup. The favorite, you want to guess who, Sean, which teams are favorite to meet in the World Series this year? I would guess it's the two New York teams. Yeah, you're halfway there. So it's Mets Astros is number one. Dodgers Astros, interestingly, is number two, and that's actually tied with Mets Yankees. So you weren't far off there. Uh, yeah. Dodgers Yankees for 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 all those who are dreaming of, of ratings. Uh, Dodgers Yankees fourth most likely World Series matchup according to Bet Online as of today. So uh, the uh, the gauntlet has been laid. That's that's kind of where the expectations are, but we'll see. I, I think it's going to be We'll get there in October, but I, I just I see the Dodgers and Padres engaging in what's probably going to be a really awesome regular season battle.
2: Yeah, I think the fact that the Padres knocked the Dodgers out last year is it definitely changes the the dynamic um, in that when you're the kind of the, the younger sibling in in the division, and then all of a sudden you, you kind of. You beat the older brother it's it changes I think the just the shift of momentum right and yeah. so it'll be interesting to see what happens um I think it's in some ways it's kind of good for the Dodgers to take um a little bit of that pressure off that it's like they're they're supposed to win they have a bigger you know I don't know what the payroll discrepancy is now, but they have much bigger payroll and, and all these big names on the team and, and now it's like okay we're not necessarily favored. So we could sometimes come in going to San Diego and be the underdog. And that's, that's kind of a fun place to play from.
0: Yeah. Well, and in, in the case of San Diego too, the Padres fans really got behind their team last season, um, seeing the success of the Padres and, and from the photos that I saw of Fan Fest, it's going to be the same this year. So that, that could be a welcome but needed harsh environment uh, <laughs> for, for the Dodgers going into San Diego this year. Um, Sean, I know you got a hard stop here, so I'm going to let you go. But uh, thank you for joining this podcast, as always. And I think we'll have plenty to talk about here as camp gets rolling.
2: Yeah, no, it's going to be an exciting year. And, and, uh, you know, I I love having kind of a a worthy adversary in in the, the same division. I think it's going to make for a great year and a lot of exciting and important series.
0: Absolutely. Especially that they got the brown uniforms back that's just that's a personal right. choice of mine but the aesthetics matter
2: they they totally matter yeah. <laughs> no, I, I love it well have a good one I look forward to catching up as the spring moves on and we start to see, uh, see and hear more interesting things coming out of camp
1: alright that will do it for this week's episode thank you to Sean Green as always for joining me I should have said this I thought it goes without saying, but watch out for your ACLs, people, especially when you're running the bases. You know, it's early in camp. No need to get hurt. Just take it easy. If you have not done so, please rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast. All of those things help. Stay warm out there. Send your prayers to Gavin Lux. He appreciates them. Be well.